If you would, would you please open your Bibles to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. We're going to be in verses 1 through 18 this morning. It begins by saying, I'll read the first uh, several verses for you, verse 10 verses. It says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she ran to Simon Peter and the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. And so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. And both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as they did not understand yet, uh, for as yet they did not understand the scriptures that, mu- that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. This is... Um, Obviously, the resurrection chapter, and so this is Easter 2.0 for us uh, this year. A lot's gone on. We weren't able to meet together um, really uh, for, the, for, for Easter in the way that we'd like to. Um, but here we are, chapter 20. And starting in the 20th chapter through the end of John's gospel, John's going to be ending in chapter 21, believe it or not, um, Jesus is, uh, John is shifting us from the life and the ministry, um, the death, the crucifixion, you know, the trial, from that whole section of Jesus's life. He's focusing on the risen Savior now. Jesus is risen from the dead. In John 20, John shifts us to the risen Lord. In Jesus's resurrection, if you did not know it as a believer, it's really important you do. It is the linchpin of our faith. It is the absolute, in other words, um, if the resurrection is not true, then we are not truly Christians. Everything we believe falls apart. Uh, my dad flew helicopters in, in, in Vietnam, and they, they had this, uh, he flew Hueys, and so they have, uh, mechanics would talk about different parts on the ship. Well, one of the parts that kept the rotor on the top, they called the, the Jesus nut. And they go, what in the world is the Jesus nut about? Well, this giant nut that goes on top of the rotor blade, because if that comes off, the whole thing's going down. And so the resurrection is the Jesus nut of Christianity, basically. You know, um, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says to the church, who has basically been influenced by some bad characters, he said, he said if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you're still in your sins. And then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, they're dead. And Paul clearly tells the Corinthians who were being influenced probably by Sadducees or someone like that who didn't believe in resurrection and supernatural things, that if that were the case, if the case were that there was truly no resurrection, then your faith is in vain. And that still stands. If you don't believe in the resurrection, then your faith 
is in, is in vain. Church, we believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he lived a real life, sinless life. He died the death that we should have died, and he rose from the dead. How many people do you know that have been raised from the dead? I know one and a couple more in Scripture, right? But he, oh, he conquered what is coming to us all. The reason why we're all wearing masks this morning is for fear of what? Dying. Getting this or dying or spreading death. It's happening. Jesus conquered the plight that, that, come, that, is, that plagues all of humanity. And if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, if he, if he died... If he went in the grave, if he, if he rotted like the rest of us in the ground, then he is not the son of God. He doesn't have the claim that he claimed to give you eternal life through faith in him. He is just like every single other person on this earth under the power of sin and under the penalty of sin, which is death. If he's not risen... He's like one of us. And we believe, and we have believed a lie. And Paul says to the Corinthians, by the way, neither will those who have fallen asleep in Christ, those who are supposed believers, they're not coming back. They have no hope. You don't have any hope. They're dead in the ground. They're gone. They've perished. Paul points just a bleak picture for those who believe that there is no resurrection from the dead, specifically that Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. But Paul goes on in verse 20, hallelujah, the church says, praise the Lord with me. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, but also in Christ shall all be made alive. And so Jesus did rise from the dead. Amen? Jesus is the first fruits of the dead believer. In other words, he was the pre-runner of all of those who would follow after him. He is the one who has power over death. It's interesting you read in the scriptures that uh, Jesus said that he would raise himself up. You destroy this temple in three days, I will raise myself up. We see that the spirit is the one who raises us from the dead. We see that the father raised Jesus from the dead. And so which is it? Yes, he is God. Jesus has power over death. And so just as Adam's disobedience, just as Jesus was the first fruits, he, 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 uh, those who have faith in him will be raised. The problem, the plight of humanity as we know and as, I, as we preach often, right, is that we're all connected to Adam. And Adam's disobedience in the garden led to sin in death. His sin led to death. And we are all inheritors of that. It is in our nature. We are by nature children of wrath. We are by nature sinners. We've all got a problem that is the plight of all humanity, and God's judgment for that is first die and then judgment, and then eternal separation. That's the plight we have. And so just as Adam's sin brought death to all, Paul says, so Christ, through Christ's obedience, it brought life to all. 
Now, he doesn't mean everybody else gets, has eternal life. It means all who believe. That's the point. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? You will be saved. Saved from what? From death and eternal separation and judgment. You're going to be saved. Jesus came to save us from our sin and the penalty of it. Romans says that believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, it brings you salvation. That's what a Christian is. A Christian believes that Jesus is Lord, and they believe that he is also Lord over death through his resurrection. And the promises of salvation is those two who confess, who believe that Jesus is Lord. There's an action associated with it. It isn't just a quiet nothing. There's an action associated with our faith. Faith without works is dead. And so the confession and the belief working together, and that's what a Christian is. Under the lordship of Jesus Christ, living in the newness of the life that he gives. And by the way, that newness starts when you believe. He resurrects your spirit, so to speak. He gives you a new spirit. You're born again now. And then guess what follows? The body. First the spirit, then the new body. We're waiting for the new body, amen? I didn't hear you, amen? (laughs) But the resurrection is the pinnacle of the plan of God. That he would take dead people and make them alive. And when you run into Jesus and you believe that he died and rose again, by God's grace working in your heart, by his spirit, you have received eternal life. You come alive. And that life now flows in you and through you. This is, his, this is the pinnacle of his plan of redemption, the resurrection of the dead, first with Jesus, but also spiritually with us and then physically later. And as resurrected beings, we worship God now and we will worship him for all eternity once we have that glorified state as well. So John's taking us from the sorrow of the cross, the penalty of sin uh, paid for by Jesus, to the joy of the empty tomb, the power of new life. That's where he's taking us. And so in verse 20, uh, I'm sorry, in verse 1 of chapter 20, John tells us it's the first day of the week. We've gone past Friday when he was crucified. We have the Sabbath. And now here we are early on Sunday morning. It is the first day of week. It's a Sunday. Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday, church. And this is why we as believers gather together and have gathered together for the past 2,000 years on a Sunday. Jesus Christ instituted this day. He rose again. He met with his disciples on Sunday morning. He met with them on a Sunday night. He waits another week, meets with them on a Sunday again because Thomas was missing, meets with him again, and he established Sunday as the day that we meet. And so we just follow in his footsteps. Now, real quickly, can you meet on a Wednesday? No. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Yeah, we're believers, right? Every day is a day of rest. We We can hang out every day. But the day that we gather together as the body of Christ is Sunday. It is so important that we gather together as we are this morning. Obviously, there's limitations going on right now, but this is when 
um, we gather together, we, we, we are edified in the word as a church, but also we see each other face to face corporately and we get in each other's lives um, in addition to the other days of the week. And so it's early Sunday morning and John tells us that Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. As you read the other gospels, there's a larger picture. It paints a, a bigger picture, kind of different angles of what's happening. But you have other women coming to the tomb. And apparently it seems like they all started off perhaps at the same time. And Mary just kind of went ahead. And so she gets there first, Mary Magdalene. And by the way, it's really difficult as you read the New Testament. I mean, there are so many Marys in here. It's, it's like you have to have a, you know, a chart. It's pretty amazing. But anyways, this is Mary Magdalene. Uh, we know from Luke 7 that, that she had seven demons casted out of her. I mean, she, was, she had a horrible life, and she was wickedly oppressed. And, and she was freed by the Lord Jesus. And she spent the rest of, of her time there, after the Lord delivered her, serving the Lord how she could. She followed him behind the scenes, ministering to him, taking care of his needs. Not only just her, but all these other women, uh, the, the mother of Jesus, Joanna, all these other people uh, who came behind, these gracious women who came behind the Lord Jesus and, and bolstered his ministry so he was singularly focused on the will of God an incredible ministry of love towards Jesus. And so Mary loved Jesus deeply and she devoted her life in service to him in his ministry. And so when Mary saw that the stone was rolled away, and I think she was there because she wanted to add spices, perhaps she didn't know Nicodemus and the other guy was already there, but she was there uh, to, to minister to him. She saw that that happened and she was really disturbed. She was probably thinking the worst. Maybe the Romans came and took it out or there were grave robbers. She was wondering what had happened. And so verse two says, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've laid him. Now it says there that she said, we, uh, we don't know where they, we have taken him. It could be because both of the groups of women went there, that it was a similar story and the writer, John's just saying that we, or it could be that Mary met up with one of the other women on the back. I don't know. But the main point is that Jesus' tomb is empty, and she does not know what's happening. She doesn't know what's going on. What's, what, what happened to the body? And so she tells Peter and the other disciple, who is John, <laughs> graciously never identifies himself, so humble. And, and, he's, and, 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 uh, and so by this time, uh, we know from Luke 24 that the disciples were overcome with grief. Remember, Jesus just two days before had been crucified. They had the Sabbath, which was probably the saddest Sabbath they've ever had. And here they are on a Sunday morning just locked up in a house for fear, and they're just grieving together. And so Mary comes and knocks on the door and comes in and tells them, hey, listen, uh, this is what's going on. This, the thing got stolen. I mean, we don't know what's going on. It's just... Jesus is gone. And by this time, the other women have come to the, come to the, um, come to the grave, and they encountered uh, angels at the tomb. And this time, they came as well, and they told them that he was risen. And so there's a lot going on there. But um, what happens in, in, uh, before, uh, before the women uh, tell them that he's risen is that um, Peter goes to, uh, it says that Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Luke tells us that, that basically when he hears this, there's, there's kind of a, you know, whatever 
at first. And then all of a sudden, Peter kind of comes around. Perhaps the other women came in and said something by that point. And then they start running towards the tomb. And so you got to love Peter here. First to open his mouth. Um, first to step out into the water. First to start running towards the tomb. Amen. But John fills in the details, verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb, and both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. <laughs> you, get, you know, these are guys, right? And so you got to love that. John says that Peter started out, but I won. <laughs> that, wasn't, that wasn't the main point. But I thought, John's description here, the detail is just absolutely astounding, isn't it? You know, how do you know that something's a true account? I mean, there's details into things. They don't just say general statements. Um, right here, John says, hey, listen, we were in a foot race and I beat him. And that's just great. As I was mentioning last week, this is John's eyewitness account of everything that's going on. You know, he says things like what day it was. It was Sunday. Uh, what time of day it was. It was early in the morning when the women were doing these things. Uh, uh, the people who were there, the personalities, like Peter's per personality, you know, just jumping out. The circumstances that were going on, uh, what they said, what, where they went, how they went, what they did. All these details John is giving. And John tells us that Peter started a race, but John beat him there. And remember that as you're reading the Bible, that, that it's, it, it, the Bible holds nothing back, the good, bad, and the ugly, and it gives details. And so John beats Peter to the tomb, verse 5, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. So John is, is he, he, he gets there first, but he looks in, but he doesn't go in. John tells us that he saw the grave clothes lying there. He could see quite often there was a slab cut out of the wall. You know, you have a big stone tomb, and they would cut out slabs there. And so there's grave clothes on this slab. But he didn't go in. He saw that. Both Mary Magdalene and him both were really reserved. Perhaps it was because of touching the dead, or perhaps it was just they didn't want to disturb a crime scene or something. Who knows? But they didn't go in for whatever reason. But verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. <laughs> You got to love Peter. He's all in all the time, is he not? He's just all in. I love this about him. Probably came in a distant second. He's huffing and puffing, probably a little bit like me, just out of breath, and just bust past John into the tomb. If you think back, it was John. I was just thinking about this. If, if you think back, it, it was John who was close to Jesus at the trial, and Peter was watching from a distance. And now John's staying back and Peter just busts into the tomb. And John tells us what Peter saw when he went inside. Verse 6, he says he saw the linen clothes lying there, so he saw that too. And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Notice the details, what Peter saw. Peter saw the cloths too, right? But he also saw the face cloth, and the cloths would, would be gone if the body was, was robbed, right? You're not going to sit there and, and undo everything and all the spices and all that great stuff and then take the body and all that kind of stuff. No, they were there. It was in, in, in what blew away Peter is that he describes the face cloth that would have covered his face was, it was folded neatly and put in its place. 
Perhaps he knew something about Jesus that we didn't walking with him those three years. Maybe he liked to fold his laundry or something. But it was folded neatly and put it at that place. It wasn't thrown on the floor and everything wasn't out of order. Verse 8, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw, and it says, and he what? And he believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to their homes. And so John finally went in and he saw and believed. And as John saw the cloths and the face cloth uh, folded, it dawned on him that this was not a robbery. This was not the Romans coming and taking him out. This was a resurrection. The things were starting to click in John's heart and he believed. They didn't understand. It says that Jesus would rise up to that point. They didn't understand. They were sorrowful, even though he had told them so many times. But now it's clicking. He believes. But Luke 24, 12 tells us that Peter went away marveling. It seems like it, it, it wasn't, it might quite not have set yet in Peter's heart, but he was marveling at what was going on. You can tell he's going, is this really what happened? Is this, could it possibly be? And Peter's just trying to think back, possibly. And so both Peter and John, they leave and go to their homes. However, verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And so uh, Mary Magdalene, still overwhelmed with sorrow after telling Peter and John and them bolting to the tomb, right? She now makes her way back to the tomb and Peter and John are gone by this time and she stoops in and looks. And the angels ask Mary why she is weeping. Right there in verse 15, it's really interesting. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing it to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Aramaic, Rabbani, or which is which means teacher. You know, Jesus just spoke her name and she instantly knew who it was. For some reason, after Jesus' resurrection, he isn't recognizable. And perhaps kind of like angels. But you're you're we saw that on the road to Emmaus and Luke's account, where he was with them, but he didn't they didn't know who he was until he broke bread, by the way, this day on Right here on a Sunday, he was with them. And then all of a sudden, he disappeared from them. And they didn't recognize him. And she didn't recognize him at first. But what, what a word, her name, him speaking her name, and she comes alive. And she, as she speaks, she, she turns and says to him, Rabbani, and she just clings to him, we find out. So Jesus speaks her name, and, and she clings to him. And when the other women encounter Jesus, which the other Gospels tell us, they fell at his feet and clinged to him and worshipped him also. You know, it's interesting that Mary was the first one to see Jesus resurrected. A woman. Not the bros, not the, tw not the 11. It was a woman. And I was thinking about this, and this might be a little bit of a stretch, but just think about it for a second. It's interesting that it was Eve who first was deceived in the garden. 
And it was a woman who succumbed to the lie of Satan and then shared it with Adam. It was the woman who was deceived. That's that's totally in Scripture. Look it up. Read it through. Not, I'm not trying to make a bad point. I'm trying to make a redemptive point here. I find it interesting that with the second Adam, with Jesus, that he first revealed plainly that he was the Christ, not to his disciples, but to a Gentile woman, the woman at the well. And then she takes that message and goes to her village and many believe. Isn't that awesome? So you see a reverse a little bit here. You see a reversal of what the garden did. We have a different time, a different Adam, a different garden, so to speak. And you see this picture. And now God chose that the risen Son of God first be revealed to a woman, both Mary here and the other women. And he commissions them by angels and by himself to go proclaim to the disciples that he's risen. He's alive. How wonderful and how gracious is the redemption of the Lord. Isn't that wild? I just think it's so cool. I always ask that question, why didn't he just appear to the disciples first? I just think he had some undoing to do. (laughs) And I just think here he is with these gracious women who are behind the scenes, who are never getting the limelight. He takes them and he calls them and he says, you, you're the first ones I'm showing up to and you go share the message. I think that speaks to so much that here we are, no matter who you are, where you feel like you are in the body of Christ, where you're very visible or not, God has a very special place for you. He's a very special place for you and he's commissioned you with the gospel to go declare that he has risen. But how wonderful is that? Jesus said to her, don't cling to me. <laughs> Verse 17, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. We're going to sp- speak about the ascension uh, really soon. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced it to the disciples. I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. How beautiful is that? He's not only alive, but he's ascended. He's going to ascend to the Father, to my God and your God, to my Father and your Father. You know, we're going to speak about the ascension next week, but the point of the resurrection here in John 16 is that he is alive, church. He is alive, and he has commissioned women like Mary disciples like the 11, to go proclaim. They were the eyewitnesses, but go proclaim that he is risen. And what has happened now through the ages is that message has come to you. It has come to me. And as that proclamation has happened, as you have believed that Jesus actually rose from the dead, that he is who he says he is, that he is the son of God, that he died for your sins, not only for your sins, for all who would believe, And then he rose again. And he offers eternal life. As you have experienced that, as you have been given eternal life, you now have been commissioned by the Lord 
in the power of the Holy Spirit to go proclaim that truth to the world around you. What a great, great opportunity you have. And listen, you're going to run into people like the disciples who didn't believe at first, but the Lord has a way of working it out. Don't be worried about their reaction to the gospel. Be worried about your faithfulness to the Lord Jesus Christ, especially in these these times that we live in. Amen? You know, John 3, 14 through 17, we know it, but it's Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus was lifted up, and he was put in the ground to be raised up, so that he would be lifted up among us, among the world, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. You know, church, you're the plan. <laughs> you're the plan for, uh, for salvation, so to speak. Uh, the Holy Spirit's at work, but he uses the redeemed. He uses the broken. He uses those who have been changed by Jesus, who have experienced his resurrection life within them to then go proclaim it to others. And so, if anything, today as we kind of close, as we close, I just want to encourage you and the Lord to search these scriptures, to read about the resurrection, and not just have an intellectual understanding of it, but to see how Jesus impacted these these women, these men. And if he's alive and he's alive in you, the mission is still the same. Go proclaim. Go tell him. And be faithful to that as the Lord gives you you know, grace among men. And so with that, let's, uh, let's close in a word of prayer. And then next week we will get into more of the heavy hitting things if you want to read ahead. <laughs> I kind of had to make it shorter this week because there's a lot, a lot of heavy stuff here coming up. Lord, we love you so much. And we thank you for these simple, um, Lord, yet profound verses. Stories that, speak of broken men and women who were lost and at sea and you kept pursuing them. You kept bringing them to the place of of faith where they would believe upon you. And here's Mary at a grave, Lord, weeping, not knowing what had happened, and yet you revealed yourself to her. The disciples who were overcome with sorrow, and yet you caused them to believe, Lord, over and over again. You keep pursuing. Thank you so much, Lord. And we just ask this morning, Father, that you would bless your church, God. You'd bless those brothers and sisters who are at home. You'd encourage them in this time. You'd strengthen them. We pray that um, your gospel would go forward, um, not only in our little quarantine areas, but beyond, Father, as you give us grace to do that. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.